The Claude 3 model family by Anthropic is your one-stop shop for enterprise AI. Haiku is lightning fast and cost-effective. Sonnet strikes the perfect balance between skills and speed. And Opus sets new industry benchmarks for intelligence. Learn more at anthropic.com slash Claude. This is your tech news briefing for Monday, March 13th. I'm Julie Chang for The Wall Street Journal, filling in for Zoe Thomas. Silicon Valley Bank. For decades, it was the financier of choice for many tech startups and venture capital firms. And on Friday, with little warning, it collapsed. On today's show, WSJ finance editor Charles Farrell will join us to explain what went down and what comes next. That's after these headlines. More layoffs at Meta, the parent company of Facebook, plans to keep downsizing over the coming months. And according to people familiar with the matter, the latest cuts could be as big as last year's 13% staff reduction that affected around 11,000 jobs. The people say the first wave of the new cuts is expected to be announced this week, and they're likely to hit non-engineering roles especially hard. Meta is also expected to shut down some projects and teams, among them some wearable devices that were in the works at Meta hardware and metaverse division, Reality Labs. The FBI once purchased geolocation data derived from mobile phone advertising to engage in warrantless tracking. That's according to FBI Director Christopher Wray, who spoke before a Senate committee last week. We do not currently purchase commercial database information that includes location data derived from internet advertising. I understand that we previously, as in the past, Uh, purchase some such information for a specific national security pilot project, but that's not been active for some time. Ray said the FBI now seeks court approval to access commercial phone data. The Supreme Court has ruled that a warrant is required to track a phone through cell networks or to install a GPS tracking device on a car. But the massive amounts of data now available for sale raises legal questions about how and when the government should be permitted to buy it. The FBI declined to comment beyond Ray's remarks. The U.S. and European Union are working on a trade agreement focused on minerals, specifically the kind of minerals that go into clean technologies like electric vehicle batteries, wind turbines, or solar panels. The goal is to form a sort of buyer's club that would help both economies transition away from fossil fuels. But our reporter Kim McCrail says it's also meant to help counter China. The broader context in terms of some of these conversations is this concern about the current reliance on China for a lot of the raw material that is needed for for the clean energy transition and for industry. There's a huge reliance globally right now on China, and there's a push from Europe, from the U.S., to try to get toward a place where new supply chains are established for for critical raw materials. Europe in particular has talked a lot about the possibility of a buyer's club where allies work together to, to make sure they've got good, solid supply chains for sourcing the materials they need for this stuff. And speaking of strengthening supply chains, more car battery factories are opening across the U.S. That's due in part to the Federal Inflation Reduction Act, which offers incentives if a percentage of a vehicle's battery is made domestically. The factories are popping up mostly in the South, in what some are now dubbing America's battery belt. So why the South, when historically America's automotive industry has been in Detroit and the Midwest? Our auto industry reporter, Nora Eckert, says one reason is energy. 
So battery plants and EV assembly plants require a lot of electricity and more than your traditional gas engine plant. So the lower electricity costs in some areas of the South compared to, say, Michigan, make that a lot more attractive for automakers. Nora spoke with our colleague George Downs for a video on America's new battery belt. You can watch that video on our site, WSJ.com. After the break, a major bank serving the tech sector is no more. Silicon Valley Bank collapsed last week at warp speed. We'll explain how it all went down. Back in a moment. The Claude 3 model family from Anthropic is your one-stop shop for enterprise AI. With models at every point on the price-performance curve, you no longer have to make trade-offs between intelligence, speed, and cost. Claude 3 Opus sets new industry benchmarks for intelligence. Sonnet strikes the perfect balance between skills and speed, and Haiku is the fastest and lowest cost model on the market, perfectly designed for high volume, high speed use cases. Join the thousands of enterprises who trust Anthropic to keep them at the frontier. Visit anthropic.com slash Claude today. For decades, Silicon Valley Bank was a pillar for the venture capital and startup community. Then, on Friday, in less than two days, it collapsed, and the government stepped in to take it over. Investors in startups spent the weekend scrambling to help their portfolio companies find new sources of cash. In the crypto world, it led a major stablecoin to break its peg to the U.S. dollar. And by Sunday night, federal regulators were rolling out emergency measures to prevent a broader banking crisis, including steps to backstop all depositors and taking control of another bank, Signature Bank. SVB's fall marks the second biggest bank failure in U.S. history, after Washington Mutual during the 2008 financial crisis. So what happened with SVB and what kind of ripple effects could this have in the tech sector and beyond? Here with us to sort through this is WSJ finance editor, Charles Farrell. Hi, Charles. Thank you for joining us. Pleasure to be here. So, Charles, for those of us who may be less familiar with Silicon Valley Bank, can you tell us a little bit about it as well as what role it played in the whole venture capital startup ecosystem? Sure. So Silicon Valley Bank is, in some respects, a very conventional bank that happens to be in Silicon Valley. It does things that normal bank would do. It takes in deposits, it makes loans, it helps its customers process payments and payroll and all kinds of other stuff. What is unconventional about Silicon Valley Bank is how deeply it is tied to one specific industry. So it's very much a bank that's widely used by tech startups and by the venture capitalists and the private equity companies that invest in them. So Silicon Valley Bank had a really tightly knit customer base. It would do lots of specialized things that would help tech companies, startups, and the funds that invested in them. And because it was good at that, it drew in a lot, a lot, a lot of people in Silicon Valley as as customers. Can you walk us through exactly what happened here? Why did SVB collapse? So on Wednesday, Silicon Valley Bank made a pretty astonishing announcement, which is that it would need to sell a bunch of securities that it held. So these are assets that it has 
mostly bonds, treasury bonds and other things. And it would need to sell them and it would take a loss selling them. And the reason that it needed to do that was that a bunch of depositors were pulling their money out and it needed to replenish that lost money. So it had to sell things that it owned in order to satisfy all of these withdrawal requests. This is not a thing that bank investors or the markets or depositors want to hear because that is how bank runs get started and that can become a self-fulfilling spiral and that is what happened. So once they said, hey, we need to sell these things in order to satisfy depositors, they attempted to try to do some things to shore up people's confidence. They said, we have an investor lined up to bring in some fresh capital. We're going to do all these different things to make ourselves solid. They said all this on Wednesday evening, but Thursday morning, it was very clear that neither the markets nor their own depositors thought that would be sufficient. And Thursday, the deposit flight accelerated. And in fact, kind of fed by the fact that it was such a tightly knit community that it served. So everybody in Silicon Valley knows everybody else in Silicon Valley, and they all talk and they hear that this guy is taking money out. So they take their money out as well. And it accelerated through Thursday, and they were unable to complete overnight Thursday to Friday, the capital raise, the new money that they were trying to get by Friday morning. And on Friday morning, they called it quits and said, we're done. And what did that run on Silicon Valley Bank look like? Can you give us a sense for what startup founders were doing while this was all going down? As an example, there's a startup in California called Ruth Health, and one of our reporters was talking to one of the co-founders who said on Thursday she got an email from an investor in Ruth Health and said, the investor's email said, take your money out. And so one of the other co-founders, Audrey Wu, began trying to take money out as, as quickly as she could, trying to make different transfers of different amounts, whatever she could get out. Then the website crashed and she was unable to get back in. So that's the sort of thing that was happening on Thursday when customers often times told by either their investors or other customers or their peers in the industry, time to get your money out, all rushed to try to do it at once. This collapse of SVB was very sudden. Have we ever seen anything like this before? I mean, there have been plenty of bank collapses in the history of the United States, but this is a very fast one. We haven't seen one like this in a while. I mean, the financial crisis, there were some pretty big ones, obviously. But even in the financial crisis, there was a little bit more of a drawn out process. The speed with which this one came apart was indeed really fast. Now, we also saw Signature Bank get taken over by regulators over the weekend. What kind of an impact could all this have on Silicon Valley and beyond? That's very hard to say. Investors and depositors and people who have money at these banks are trying to assess that now. Um, that's really the question of the moment is if this is the tip of the iceberg, how deep is the iceberg? Or is it just a, a kind of one-off thing? It's not quite a one-off because a similar thing happened at Silvergate, which is a crypto-focused bank. But is it a one or two or three banks that have very, very different models than everybody else? Or is it actually a wider thing? And, and that as yet is not clear. WSJ Finance Editor Charles Farrell, thank you so much for your time today. My pleasure, Julie. And that's it for today's Tech News Briefing. But a quick reminder before we close out the show, we want to hear your questions about generative artificial intelligence, AI programs like ChatGPT, Microsoft's new Bing search, or MidJourney. We're going to answer them on an upcoming episode. Do you want to know how these kinds of AI programs work, what they're capable of, or maybe what the latest wave of AI developments could mean for how we live our lives? Leave us a voicemail with your AI question at 415-439-6482. You can also email us a voice recording at tnb at wsj.com. We look forward to hearing from you. I'm Julie Chang for The Wall Street Journal. Thanks for listening.
The Claude 3 model family by Anthropic is your one-stop shop for enterprise AI. Haiku is lightning fast and cost-effective. Sonnet strikes the perfect balance between skills and speed. And Opus sets new industry benchmarks for intelligence. Learn more at anthropic.com Claude.